Welcome to Double Happiness Multiplied with Sally Barker, the complete guide to enjoying your multiple pregnancy and building a happy, healthy family life. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of Double Happiness Multiplied. I'm Sally Barker. Coming up on this episode, we're talking with consultant neonatologist Dr Patricia Woods from King Edward Memorial Hospital in Western Australia. Dr Woods will explain to us what you can expect if you have babies in the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, or NICU. Mum of quadruplets Janelle Snadden walks us through her NICU journey. I'll share my NICU story with you. And I'll also read a moving letter from a micro-premie mum written to other parents of premature babies. A preterm or preemie baby is defined as being born alive before 37 weeks of pregnancy are completed. There are subcategories of preterm birth, however, based on gestational age. Extremely preterm or micro-premies are born at less than 28 weeks gestation. Very preterm are those born between 28 and 32 weeks gestation. And moderate to late preterm, which are the babies born after 32 weeks and before 37 weeks gestation. Worldwide, an estimated 15 million babies are born too early every year. That's more than one in every 10 babies. Sadly, of these babies, approximately one million will die each year due to complications of their preterm birth. So why does preterm birth happen? There are many reasons. However, the most common causes include multiple pregnancies, infections and chronic conditions such as diabetes and high blood pressure. Preterm birth is a global problem, despite more than 60% of preterm births occurring in Africa and South Asia. There's also a dramatic difference in survival rates of premature babies, depending on where they're born. For example, more than 90% of extremely preterm babies born in low-income countries will die within the first few days of life, yet less than 10% of extremely preterm babies die in high-income settings. Now, these statistics are interesting, and for some, will offer reassurance and a glimmer of hope during this time of immense emotional turmoil. However, as consultant neonatologist Dr Patricia Woods explains, it can be quite confronting. I think the neonatal intensive care unit is a terrifying place for families. It's extremely confronting to walk into. It's very alien. Parents have rarely experienced anything like this before. And we, we really recognise that sort of struggle emotionally that some families might be coping with. Having babies born preterm can be an absolute crisis for many families, something that they hadn't expected or anticipated. And sometimes we are meeting them and possibly what might be the worst day of their lives. In an intensive care environment, a baby is cared for within their own unique slot where they would have their own incubator and all the support they could possibly need in terms of breathing help and monitoring and infusion pumps, their own neonatal intensive care nurse and little computers. And this is their space. This is bed space for them. So even that on its own can be daunting when you're looking at the equipment and incubators and the sound of alarms. The sensory overload that some families might find is it's, it's frightening. You'll hear a lot of terms out there. They can be quite confusing. But I think prematurity is a spectrum and babies born along that timeline have very different needs and very different vulnerabilities. So it's hard to lump all in one basket. When there are multiple babies, each can have unique challenges and related to their gestation, absolutely. But when they've shared 
real estate, if you like, mm-hmm. um, and a womb and placentas, then some of those vulnerabilities are more obvious. And sometimes in counselling families, we might even pitch just slightly younger at a, a younger gestation by at least a week when we're really talking about vulnerabilities and outcomes because of the way that twins and triplets and quads might behave. How important is it for a woman carrying multiples to understand the risk of prematurity? Essential, essential. I think having a really close relationship with the people caring for you, your midwife, your obstetrician, and just equipping yourself with the knowledge and the reality of what is going to happen, that your babies may well require intensive care or special care nursery, that this journey may not be as smooth or straightforward as you might imagine. So I think just knowing that preterm birth almost comes hand in hand, it doesn't have to be at the extreme end of the spectrum, of course, but it's a very natural process for twins and triplets to come several weeks earlier than you might have hoped for. When we're talking about neonatal intensive care, we tend to talk about um, the tertiary unit, the level three unit, if you like, That's where our most vulnerable babies are cared for. So those born extremely preterm or those requiring particularly breathing support, which is a major focus of their care, or sicker babies born even term or post-term requiring a similar degree of support. So there is the real neonatal intensive care unit, if you like, and that's a place where often most babies might go to after delivery where they need a degree of support and often assessment to see actually what they need. So that's the the top end NICU, if you like, how you might imagine it. And from there, there's other areas of our hospital, particularly where there's a little bit more of a step down care. So babies needing less intensive, less invasive support in a more stable fashion, who might be a couple of days older or more mature. And it's just different needs that they might have. And through that, we actually watch our babies grow and graduate through the other less intensive side of the intensive care unit that comes to a stage where babies are learning to breastfeed, for example, or more stable off their breathing oxygen or support. That can be a lot more of a natural time for most families where they're more confident in handling, in learning to feed, learning to bath, and even the preparation for for going home in that transition Neonatal intensive care is not just one big room. It really is divided into different areas of support and that's incredibly baby-led. So we cannot always predict purely on gestation where your baby might need us most. The default is really coming to the intensive care area so we can really assess your baby properly and provide whatever support your baby needs in those first few hours and take it from there. You'll encounter many tests and procedures during your NICU stay and it's important to ask questions along the way so you understand why they're being carried out. It's also important to ask for the results to be explained. Part of a daily NICU programme might be some sort of care or intervention. Testing of bloods at different times is needed for different reasons and part of routine care can be x-rays as well and also the use of ultrasound so it's part of standard care of preterm infants born less than 32 weeks, for example, or 33 weeks, to have cranial ultrasounds. So that means a, a brain scan at the bedside using an ultrasound machine, usually within the first 24 hours of a baby being born, and then around about a week of life, and then about a month of life. 
And yes, that can be terrifying for a family saying their baby's having a brain scan. You know, of course it is. But our duty really to inform parents of the reason why and what we're looking for and communicate results timely, not leaving you hanging here and interpret what that means or might mean for your baby. It's important, yes, to realise that being in intensive care will mean procedures that, that might be invasive or painful. We take great care in anticipating that and addressing those. We have little pain score charts which are validated of how do you tell a baby might be in pain or might be having discomfort for whatever reason. And so when we are perhaps doing something like a heel prick blood test to take a blood sugar or a, a jaundice level, for example, we can anticipate that. So we can start using measures that are simple comfort measures in swaddling and cuddling and breastfeeding and wrapping the baby in using something like oral sucrose, which together with a sucking mechanism like a dummy or a finger has been shown to act on those brain receptors and pain receptors so it reduces that your baby's heart rate will be monitored your baby's breathing rate will be monitored we also have a little pulse oximetry monitor which is like a little sticky band that's often placed around the baby's right wrist or on the foot that does pick up the heartbeat as well but also gives us a real indication of the oxygen perfusion to the tissues those are called sats or sats monitors those are the things that are really measured continuously and recorded, but we'll also be monitoring baby's temperature. It's often a sensory feedback from a little monitor on the baby, a little sticker and a temperature probe that then directly feeds back to the incubator so it's all completely smooth and titrated to what the baby needs. So yes, there is a number of lines, a number of stickers, a number of tubes, Babies are clever. They will try and remove everything and pull everything out, even from the most premature. But yes, it can look a little strange to come and see your baby and find they've got lots of stickers on their chest and leads. But it is part of intensive care. And one of our real things we do talk about is the, the benefits of kangaroo care or skin-to-skin -skin contact. So both mothers and fathers and babies and everyone benefits from that real skin-to-skin -skin contact early on. So often, regardless of breathing support, providing your baby stable enough and the medical and nursing team support this is that an infant is placed directly onto the mum or the dad's chest and that real opportunity for that first real cuddle and the breathing help stays the same and all the monitoring stays on. And we really do observe trends in babies relaxing when they're in that space. Heart rate comes down, blood pressure can come down. It's, it's just a unique physiological experience. When it comes to making plans for taking your babies home, a rough guide is around their due date. However, as Dr Woods explains, there are several criteria they'll need to meet before they're ready to leave the security of the NICU. The real criteria is a stable pattern in the baby where they are sucking their feeds well, at least for 48 hours. So this means really that the baby is able to breastfeed or bottle feed where they're having periods of sleep, where they're waking for feeds, they're able to finish most of a feed, they will be getting tired. And it's a little bit like running a marathon for a preterm baby learning to feed. We joke and say it's like breastfeeding school for three weeks, but it can take that long for a baby to build up their energy and endurance and be able to have a few feeds in a row. It's really exhausting for them and they will use a lot of their energy in learning to latch and suck and breathe and swallow and do everything on time. So it's a real maturity part of the brain that leads that. 
if the baby's going home, we need to feel confident that they're able to have the energy and sustenance and be able to feed, be able to maintain their normal temperature in normal baby clothes in a normal cot and that they're gaining weight and growing because that's the real proof in the pudding, if you like. Are they using the energy of milk for growing, not just keeping warm or burning up all their energy because they're getting tired with their feeding and sucking and chewing and things. So those are the kind of rough guidelines of looking at a baby's cue, a baby-led approach of when it's time to go home. Talk to us regularly. We will always be looking to help support you. And the vast majority of times, we can help you with that worry that you have, specific concerns, feedback of baby's results, things that are a huge source of anxiety. We can put things to bed pretty quickly normally. And we don't mind the phone call at 3 a.m. when you're sat upright in bed worrying about a particular aspect and can't relax that call is fine. How is my baby going? That's fine. That's normal. So talking is the key for me. I think of what I have can observe through intensive care environments, not bottling things up, reaching out, sharing concerns, sharing feelings and knowing it's a normal process. It might be a crisis today. It might be the worst feeling in the world and the worst day of your life, but I bet you we can help you. Janelle Snadden's quadruplets were born at 30 weeks gestation and she says it was quite confronting being wheeled into the NICU for the first time. So emotional. It's hard to even describe those feelings. I just remember thinking that's all I wanted to do. I just, that whole time after having the babies, like a day later, not knowing how they were and just having these four photos of them, I just, I just wanted to be near them. I just needed to see them and, yeah, be told that they were doing okay and then being wheeled in there. And, of course, having four is probably the same thing and all different issues. They're all spread out over the nursery. It's not like they're one, two, three, four. So I saw um, Isaac first, and then I saw Will. Will was very confronting because he had um, problems with his lungs. So he was he had tubes coming out of his chest and this tiny little body and so much happening, so much happening. Yeah, I just can't even describe just seeing that, like, was like what was going on. And I think it's just that unknown. And obviously them telling me about each child, it's a lot to take in. Like, let alone just one of what's happening with one child, it was four, like of all these different things. So I saw Will and I, did, I didn't want to leave Will. I didn't want to leave Will. It was hard enough leaving Isaac to go and see Will, but then knowing all this stuff was happening to Will. But then I wanted to see the girls and know that they were okay. So then I got taken to a different section of the nursery where the girls were and then, yeah, trying to find out what was happening with the girls. Just overwhelming, I think, is the best way to describe it. And, of course, so happy, like, because I've had these amazing babies and, Yes, they're here and they're doing well, but then also so much sadness because I couldn't help them. There was nothing I could do for them to help them. So I had to trust in everything that I've been told and what was happening around me that this was the best place and this is where they were going to grow and get strong and be healthy. So that's the hardest thing and lots of people obviously with Premi Babies will understand that, that you can't just, like, I couldn't hold my baby. I couldn't even touch my babies. So just sitting there watching and it's just waiting, isn't it? And the alarms and the sounds and everything that's happening in the nursery is a constant like, is that my baby? Is, is everything okay? Is, you know, what's happening? What's going on? It's complete and utter uncontrolled. The one 
time that, yeah, I could not control anything that was going on in there. I had to sit there and just be there and hope that everything went well. If you've been listening to this season of Double Happiness Multiplied, you'll remember that my identical girls were born at 28 weeks gestation. They spent 64 days in NICU. Those weeks and months were among the most joyous and heartbreaking of my life. Of course, I was extremely happy they were alive, but they were so small. And with every step forward, there seemed to be five steps back. With each day, there'd be another challenge, from chronic lung disease, constant infections requiring antibiotics, spinal taps, blood transfusions, heart complications, hernias. Our NICU journey was completely and utterly overwhelming. I felt like a mere bystander, peering at my babies through the walls of these plastic houses, jumping at the sound of alarms, and then being calmed by the bubbling and popping of the CPAP machines. The most terrifying part was reaching into the humidity cribs and shaking the girls' tiny bodies to get them breathing again when those machines screeched out for help. I'm not very good at asking for help, or in fact accepting it when it's offered, but my advice to you, if this is your reality for the time being, is swallow your pride and ask for support because it is there. You just need to find the courage to speak up. To finish off this episode, I'll read a letter written to NICU mums by blogger Lindsay Franks. I apologise if I do start to get a bit shaky. Dear new NICU mum, it's a place you likely didn't expect, sitting in the NICU, watching your tiny baby fight for its life. It's a place you wouldn't choose. And if you're like me, you had every intention and dream of holding a healthy, plump baby on your chest shortly after delivery. A dream of leaving the hospital baby in tow. And now here you sit watching your fragile baby through a plastic box. I wish there were magical words that I could write to make this situation better. But I know from experience that there are no words to do that. What I can do is share with you from one NICU mum to another some words of encouragement. When our son was born at 23 weeks gestation, we were terrified. We knew babies were born premature, but never knew they could be born and survive this premature. We had no idea what we were facing. You're likely going to be bombarded with folks who care about you dearly, folks who want to help you, folks who want to fix the situation and take away your pain. Occasionally, they'll say things to you that will hit a nerve. They may be under the assumption that your baby is just in the NICU because he or she needs to grow a little more, not knowing the battle your child's in. They may demand you stop grieving and ask you to be glad that your baby's still alive. Some may go as far as to say horrible things to you, such as, at least you didn't have to go to the end of your pregnancy and be miserable. True story. But the truth is, unless they've been there, unless they've walked this, they won't know that your heart is broken. They won't understand that you'd do anything, go through anything, if it meant that you could just carry your child to term and save them this pain. And they won't understand that in an instant, your dreams have been shattered and you're questioning how you'll ever pick up the pieces, glue them together and start again. You don't need someone to remind you to be thankful. You are. It will take some getting used to. But oftentimes you'll juggle being thankful for your child's life or being scared to death for their future. That's okay. You see, some of us have been there. Some of us are still there. And we want to tell you one thing. All those feelings, those conflicting and sometimes awful feelings, they're normal. Yep, totally normal. And no, you don't need to explain them to us. We get them. We've had them. We're still having them. Plain and simple. 
the NICU is traumatic. All of the uncertainties, the obstacles your child faces, the pain, the statistics, it all takes its toll. But you will emerge. You will find a hidden strength that you never knew you had. And you'll see the strength of your child. You'll grow amazed and proud of them as you watch them win their battles. As you navigate these new waters, don't be afraid to speak up and speak out. Find your voice and share your feelings and concerns. Allow yourself the opportunity to correct others who may misjudge your fears of the future as an inability to appreciate the miracle of your child. Grieve. Lots of things have been lost along the way. A normal pregnancy, a normal birth, a normal departure from the hospital. The list goes on and on. Grieve it all. You're experiencing loss, a huge, unimaginable loss. Know that you can't prepare yourself for the future. After all, no one can predict it. And force yourself to stay in the present, deal with the hurdles of the day. But when your mind does start to ask the what-ifs about the future, and it will, when you start to doubt the path you're on, don't beat yourself up for it. Face those what-ifs with courage and know that the strength you're discovering will emerge as you face each and every new trial. Remember that your child, not statistics, will determine his or her course. These stubborn NICU babies rarely follow the predicted path. And finally, know that you're not alone. Some of the most therapeutic times are found in the NICU when mums begin to connect, share stories with each other. As you begin talking, you'll likely find that these women who you thought were so different from you have now become the only ones who understand your heart. Don't be afraid to talk to them. Chances are they'll appreciate knowing that they're not the only ones feeling this way either. This journey that you're on, it's a battle. It's likely to take some turns. You'll make advances and retreats. Sometimes it will feel like you haven't left the trenches in weeks. But you will emerge. You will make it. The battle will end. And one day you'll look back on this time and it will be a blur. A new normal will emerge. You'll begin to find happiness and good times again. And you'll look on your scars knowing that each one represents something you've conquered. With love, a former NICU mum. Thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 8 of Double Happiness Multiplied. And if this is your reality right now, remember a new normal isn't too far away. Coming up on Episode 9, we honour those families who sadly didn't get to take one or more of their babies home. Twin mum and psychologist Dr Greta Little talks about grief and the importance of reaching out and speaking to others who've experienced the loss of a multiple. Alexa Bigwolf shares her story of grief following the loss of one of her twins due to twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Joanne Beattie's journey is similar to Alexa's and she guides us through her process for getting on with life after saying goodbye to her baby boy. Until next time, I wish you double happiness multiplied. The only purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform and should not be used to diagnose any medical condition. It's no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it doesn't constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Instead, I encourage you to discuss your options with a healthcare provider who specialises in multiple births. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience and conclusions. Thank you for listening to Double Happiness Multiplied, the complete guide to enjoying your multiple pregnancy and building a happy and healthy family life. 
remember to head over to doublehappinessmultiplied.com to get access to more great resources.